Amen. It is good to be on land. As if you saw the last picture of the group, uh, let's just say there were 40 guys. 39 of them remained on the boat to take the photo, and one of us did not. I'll let you take a guess. I also won an award that day, and that was for the first to um, lose it, if you will. So uh, Monday was fantastic until it wasn't. Uh, so the last couple hours uh, and the remaining of the day, for some reason, the world just kind of looked like this. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a long day. But it was so fun, so fun connecting with people. But my gosh, if we ever do a boating service, I will be sick that day. I will not make it. I can just assure you that. Anyone else never want to go on a boat again in their life? Yeah, my people. All right. Oh, it is just a Dramamine didn't work for me, so I gave it a shot. But it is good to be with you guys. Uh, if you guys don't know me, I'm Johnny. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff. And uh, I'm just humbled to be on staff here. I just absolutely love uh, partnering in the gospel with our parents, uh, with our students, with our young adults. Uh, it, it's just fantastic uh, to have a church that loves the truth, that loves the, loves the word. And uh, I, I love being here. So, so thanks for letting me be here. I love teaching. And uh, so... We're, we're going to talk a little bit about a DNA surprise. Do you guys know how many people, just take a guess, over the last three years have taken a, a DNA test like Ancestry.com? Any guesses? Four? <laughs> if it was only you, maybe it just would be four. <laughs> so a hundred million, a hundred million people just over the last three years have taken DNA tests. Now, some of them might be for school, some of them just curious, but... Here's what's crazy. There's a decent amount of these people who have taken these tests. They get the result back, and here's what they learn. The father who's been sitting across the dinner table for decades is not actually their biological father. I watched a lot of documentaries. Here's what it always came true. It came to an epic moment. They're building it up, and it was, it was extremely shocking. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for somebody who you thought was your biological father your entire life, this DNA test, one test reveals not actually your biological father. Now, these non-biological fathers, many of them just do an incredible job at being a father. But this shock factor that some of these DNA tests are revealing of this guy who's been sitting across from me, who I've been calling dad for years, decades, isn't actually my biological father. And what we're going to look at today is Jesus is going to have a conversation with the Jews. The same group that he's been talking to the last couple of weeks. And he's actually going to reveal the results of this spiritual DNA test. So here's the main idea today. There are people then, and I'm convinced now, who are sometimes convinced that God's their father when he actually isn't. And so today, Jesus is going to speak to make clear to all of us who our father is. So we're in John chapter 8, continuing this conversation. So read with me, John chapter 8, 39 through 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now... You seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, 
that I heard from the beginning, or from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, taking a jab at him. We have one father, even God, or namely God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, not what you want to hear. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning that does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? So if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Pray with me. God, our, our greatest desire is that you would do a DNA search in our life, and that that result would be a conclusion that you alone are our Father. But God, my heavy conviction is this, is that there are people across all generations, including now, who are deceived, who are convinced that God is their father on account of their beliefs or their life, when God, you actually aren't. So God, would all of us humbly assess our life, our faith up against your word alone? And God, would you encourage us this morning and fill us with the hope of you being our father. Amen. All right, so we're working with two people here. Two people. We got people who are convinced that God is their father when he's actually not. So we're going to look at some qualifications that, that Jesus helps lay out. What, what's true of these people? And here's the first thing is, they're convinced that they're good. There's no room here for, for any other result. They're convinced they're good. This is what they said, the Jews who Jesus is talking to. They answered him, Abraham's our father. That's just a definitive statement. There's no argument here. That's just the way that it is. And Jesus said to them, but if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, they answered, look, we weren't born of sexual immorality. Right, Jesus, with the virgin birth, a very uh, confusing situation to those on the outside, just a jab at him to say, we have one father, and that's God. The separation between them and Jesus. And I mean, what's the irony here is Jesus is the son of God helping them and revealing their hearts and who their father actually is, and they are convinced that they're good. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a situation in which you've been convinced of something to be true or you were convinced that something was going to happen. Uh, one of the most recent heart-wrenching ones for me, Kyle Adama will probably remember this the most. Uh, any football fans in here? All right, six of us. All right. <laughs> I thought there were more. That's right. We're all golfers here. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> So I am a big New Orleans Saints fan, and about three years ago in the playoffs, they're playing in Minnesota. Oh, yeah, and oh, Saints are up, 
two seconds left in the game, and they're up by a field goal. So the Vikings have the ball on their own 20-yard line. Me, I'm convinced. I'm standing in my room. My hands are up. I'm ready to celebrate. And the quarterback throws a Hail Mary, and our defensive safety trips and misses the wide receiver, and the wide receiver goes 80 yards for a touchdown. And do you want to know what my reaction was? Do any of you remember it? It was just this. I mean, I must have stood there for two minutes, just, I was convinced, and talk about the extreme shock, it was heartbreaking. Now, thankfully, that was just football. I got over it until next year when the Rams got the call. It's just been a hard time for a Saints fan, right? But to have this wrong, to have a conviction that God is our father when he's not, that is so much more consequential than the Saints losing a football game. And that's Jesus out of his love and out of the truth is calling these people to think more deeply about what it means for God to be their father. But this is a description of somebody who is convinced that God is their father when he's not. They're convinced that they're good. The next thing is this. They're interested and passionate about God. Think about who he's talking to. These people have devoted their entire life to studying God. They want to know the law. They want to know God. They're trying their best to follow it. In many ways, I think there's maybe even more interest about God and more passion, right? The reason in which they're fighting against Jesus in this argument is because they have passion. So they have this passion for God, this interest, and that remains today. We could think about anything about God, the fact that he's eternal, that he created everything out of nothing. Was it seven days? Was it not seven days? Did he send Jesus? Is Jesus the son of God? I mean, the amount of interest and passion that we can have about God is vast. And it's true about this group of people who Jesus just said, you are of your father, the devil. It's not a bad list so far to be convinced that you're good with God and to be interested and passionate about him. And then they're connected to a religious community. This is what it says in the text. Notice how many first-person plurals they give to Jesus. Abraham is our father. And then if you drop to verse 41, and they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And so they have built this connection not just to one another, but to Abraham. And they have this heritage of being a descendant of Israel. And they have this great connection that they're clinging to for their salvation. To Abraham, to the law, to one another. And they're collectively, right, this whole time they've been fighting against Jesus, not having witnesses. They're essentially saying, look what we have. We got Abraham, we've got the law, we've got each other. What do you have? That crazy John the Baptist guy? We'll let him be on your team. <laughs> oh, God in heaven, the Father, Jesus doesn't have as many witnesses that are obvious. So they use this connection as a confidence for their place with God. But because their primary connection is to Abraham, 
and not to Christ. This is why Jesus calls them out. But look at, these, look at this list. It's a good list. They're connected to a religious community. And then they like a lot about Jesus. If you guys remember, I think it was two weeks ago, it was the last text. Jesus was teaching, and it said that many people had a response, and this was the response. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So this is the crowd. This is the crowd of people that are convinced they're good with God when they're actually not, is you got people, who I'm going to go back real quick to this other list. Excuse me. They're convinced that they're good. They're interested and they're passionate about God. They're connected to a religious community and they like a lot about Jesus. They like some of his teachings. They liked that he was working miracles. They liked who he was hanging out with. They liked him until it challenged their own perception of salvation. They liked it until this conversation started to happen where, where he started to reject their connection to Abraham and that that was the foundation of their salvation. But if you look at this list, I think some of us in some seasons of our life, we might take this as our paper resume for our spiritual life. Yeah, I'm convinced I'm good. I'm interested, I'm passionate about Jesus, I'm going to church all the time, and I like a lot of what Jesus teaches. This is, to many people, this is rich, this is good. But Jesus gets to a point where he draws out one primary thing about these people, where he says, this is primarily what is revealing that you are of your father, the devil, and it's that you're not actually living like Abraham. <laughs> you're clinging to him. But in your clinging, you're not actually living like him. Because Abraham lived with genuine faith. And I'm going to describe to you, this is what Jesus says, of why you're not. He says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, look, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You would hear God and you would joyfully listen even if it means sacrificing your miracle child in your old age. Abraham listened to me, yet you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. So it reveals that they're rejecting him. This is the most discouraging Sign, if you're somebody who's convinced that they're good with God, to reject Jesus is very discouraging. And Jesus is revealing, not only you're rejecting me, but you're seeking to kill me. Now, they were just happy to listen. They were just happy to abide until he revealed a little bit about this. And then they stopped abiding in the truth. This truth that my connection to Abraham is no longer enough what? My people have been teaching this for centuries. I'm a descendant of Abraham, which means I am good. How dare you tell me I'm no longer good? I didn't mind your other teachings, but now, now you got me. And the last one is this, that they're not looking to Jesus alone. 
They're rejecting his words. They're no longer abiding in the truth. And then they don't look to Christ alone for salvation. And so though their paper resume probably looks pretty good to themselves and to the culture around them, it takes a spiritual DNA test, which was very quick, one conversation with Jesus, it was a fast test, to reveal you're not actually living like Abraham, your father. Now, our greatest concern, Todd shares this all the time, but the, the, the text where, where people get to heaven and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they make all these bold claims, I did this in your name, <laughs> right? I went to church in your name, I sacrificed time in your name, I gave money in your name. Yet Jesus would say, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. And uh, as a youth pastor, well, one thing that I just see running rampant is subjective truth, uh, progressive Christianity. And you know, with, with media and, and an ample amount of resources available, there are a lot of voices telling us if we're good with God or not. And some are subjecting themselves to Scripture, and some are subjecting Scripture to their own worldview. I'm going to show a video. This is a, uh, a pastor of a progressive Christian church in SoCal. Uh, you know, he's done some recent videos with Sean McDowell, a very gracious, nice guy. Uh, and this is his response to being called a heretic. To be clear, when you call me a heretic, I don't entirely disagree with you. By definition, a heretic is someone who opposes the official or popular opinion. So in a religious context, that means you oppose official church teaching. But here's the thing, some official church teachings are worth opposing. Your beliefs that LGBTQ people are abominations, worth opposing. Your beliefs that there are some people whom God doesn't love, or that God would ever send or even just allow people to eternal torment and suffering, worth opposing. Your belief that the Bible is perfect and without error, and if we just read it literally and plainly, then we can know God's perfect will for all time. Sorry, friend, but that too deserves opposing. Now, I hope I'm not always a heretic, I hope one day the official or popular opinion will be more, uh, well, Jesus-y, and then I could take a break <laughs> from all this heresy. But until then, I'll be over here with others who identify as progressive Christian and who aren't content to just let the official church beliefs go unopposed. That's just 40 seconds of one man. Nice guy. I watched an hour video of him with Sean McDowell. Really nice guy. He's compelling. <laughs> He has some legitimacy, right? This LGBTQ issue, our church has not been as loving and welcoming to people as we could. But their response is to reject the truth, to no longer abide in the truth, and then ultimately not look to Jesus alone for salvation. But this is the word out there. And so we need churches like this. This is why I love being here. This is why I love helping equip our young people to stand in the truth. It's because we want to build more people who are actually confident in God being their father, and he is. That's our hope around here. Whoever walks in our doors would grow in their confidence of God being their father when he actually is. And so what does this look like? 
I think first they're confident that they're good. Right? You have this conviction on both sides that I'm good. But I think there's a difference. You see, when that Saints game was happening, my conviction did not lead me to any assessing of any other possibility. (laughs) But if I was confident, I would still have this realization that we still could lose. I would understand that the two seconds on the clock would mean, oh, I need to assess. Somebody still has to make a tackle. Somebody's got to make... I didn't have any of that assessing. I didn't look at the entire picture. I just looked at what I felt, and then we lost, and it was extremely devastating. (laughs) But to be confident, I actually think it means that we have an accurate picture of Scripture of who Jesus is and what faith looks like, and we line our heart up against that and we say, yeah, I'm confident. I'm confident. And Jesus gives us a couple reasons why we could be confident from the text. If you see in verse 42, he says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. You want one healthy criteria for being someone who you are convinced and you're confident that God is your father and he is, is that you love him. For I came from God and I am here. And towards the end of the text, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So you listen. You look for the revelation that God has given and you listen and you respond in faith. And so I think this confidence has a couple pieces to it. I think these are just three. I think there's a humble assurance. You guys remember in John chapter three with the conversation with Nicodemus. I think we can have a humble assurance that God is our father if, if we actually see the spirit blowing and moving in our life. And the humility is rooted in God, the fact that I am even craving to love you and to be connected to you is from you and you alone. And the assurance is we love you and we listen to you. And then we hold our lives to the full picture of what faith is described as in the Bible. This is something that it's just not a popular practice to do. But I think the most confidence should come from appropriately holding our faith, our life, our thoughts up to Scripture. And we say, is this confidence that I have in you appropriate? It's the healthiest thing to do. And when those things are true, don't get me wrong. You you shouldn't just have this conviction and just be worried that I could be wrong. No, we should partake of the joy of being connected to Christ. We absolutely should have confidence. It's why Jesus died for us. He did not die in order that we would uh, cower in fear. He died in order that we would be convinced that God loves us and through him alone we have an amazing connection. But we should be confident, yet assessing. Second one, looks familiar. (laughs) We're interested and we're passionate about God. We just can't get enough. This is what I love about RCC is we desire to know God fully. And our conviction is the more fully that we know God and the more that we abide in him, the more joy we have. (laughs) And so this interest and passion, it's not just an interest and passion that we want to conform to our own worldview, 
But we, which is why we open the Bible every Sunday, we look at Scripture and we say, I want to conform my worldview to this. And as we become more interested and more passionate, our picture of Jesus grows and our conviction that he's our father grows as well. And then we're connected to a religious community. I love gathering here. I love worshiping with you guys all morning long, looking at the word, responding in music. It is absolutely amazing being here Wednesday night, Tuesday with the college kids, shout out. You guys are awesome. But we love this connection and we love being with one another towards one common good. But I think there's a stark difference between our connection to the church and their connection to Abraham. Because for the Jews, their connection to this religious community, their salvation actually depended upon their religious connection. Without this heritage that they had with Abraham, they would have nothing. They depended on it. For us, (laughs) when I entered the gates of heaven, I will not say, well, I went to a pretty nice church. I I look up to and I respect and I learn from so many of your guys' faith, but our goal is to collectively point to Jesus alone, not to one another. And so for us, we have this extreme difference of we don't come together to to re-ensure that our church attendance is acquiring our salvation. We sit, we gather, and we worship to collectively all point away from ourselves into Jesus alone. And we don't just like a lot about Jesus. We are absolutely enthralled. Now, I made a short list. This is not even close to being exhaustive, but just look at how amazing these things are, and these are all true about Jesus. He's the eternal God, he became a human, he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect holy life, he loved sinners while he was holy, he was perfectly patient, wise, compassionate, truthful, he lovingly took on the wrath of God on our behalf, he rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of God and ready to make everything perfect. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what else do you want to be enthralled about? Look, I would be delighted if the Saints won a playoff football game, but this... And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're enthralled. We can't get enough. And as we learn about the truth of these things, we say, I just want a deeper connection. And as we get this deeper connection, I think our confidence in God being our father only grows. And ultimately, just as Jesus helps reveal to these guys, not living like Abraham is what reveals that the father is actually your devil. For us, the greatest confidence we can have is that we're actually living like Abraham. We have God's voice, we have God's revelation in our life and our response is faith. But our connection to Abraham, because we absolutely have one, those who treasure Jesus, we actually do share in this inheritance with Abraham, it's just a spiritual heritage. But if you were living like him, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works. Because here's what it is. It's a spiritual heritage and not a physical heritage. And Paul, 
who I'm convinced gets all of these ideas from Jesus, from texts and conversations like this. This is what he describes it as in Romans 9. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not actually the physical children of the flesh who are counted children of God, but it's the children of the promise, the children of faith that are the true spiritual descendants of Abraham. One of the greatest descriptions of those who are spiritually descended from Abraham is this, is you joyfully listen and obey. That's how the text ends. It says, whoever is of God and hears the words of God. You're born of God. The spirit is moving in your life. You have this confidence that God is your father. The greatest way for you to test, to have your own DNA test, is how well are you joyfully listening and obeying to all that Christ teaches. That's where we draw our confidence from. So here's my three encouragements. I'm just convinced that there are a ton of people who are deceived. Absolutely in our area, maybe even in this room. So for all of us, the most important thing that we could possibly do is we, to the best of our abilities, make sure that God is our Father. Why? Because there's nothing more significant. There's nothing that you should want more assurance of in your life than, than that of God being your Father. And the second one is this. It's so needed. Is that we stand confidently on Jesus plus nothing. If you guys remember those incredible blue shirts, the Jesus blue snot hing shirts. <laughs> the Jesus plus nothing. We don't stand on anything that we've done. All of our confidence comes from Jesus dying, Jesus living, and Jesus rising from the dead. There is no spiritual confidence before God that we have other than what Jesus has done for us. And the last is this. I believe God wants to use many of us. I believe he wants us to help use some spiritual DNA testing in the lives of people around us. Because here's my conviction. If it's not us that are walking in self-deception, I promise you there are people connected to you who believe that God is their father when it's actually the devil. And so for us, my prayer is that God would use us to lovingly and boldly help and encourage those who are deceived to realize how good and gracious of a father that God is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, there, there's nothing more satisfying and <laughs> enjoyable than having a confidence that you and you alone are our Father. But God, if Jesus was having conversations like this with spiritual leaders, God, my conviction is that there are many of us who are walking in deception. 
there are many of us who aren't joyfully hearing and listening and responding with a genuine faith to the truth of who you are. So God, my, my prayer is simple, that, that you would increase our joy and our connection to you through genuine faith. And by that increasing joy that we have in being connected to you, that you would use us in the lives of the people around us to help them, just as you are doing in this conversation, to help them realize that you might not be their spiritual father, but you deeply would desire that relationship. So God, continue to work deeply in this church. God, we hold our hearts and our minds open to the truth of you always. It's for your glory and for our joy. Amen.